Hey, what's up? This is Jason from Centerpoint Church in Hendersonville, Tennessee. We're so excited to spend some time with you today. We hope that this message inspires you and makes you continue living life on purpose and for a purpose. Let's jump right into the message. And I want to welcome everybody who's watching online. I want to give a special good morning to Roger and Tom. I know that you are tuning in, Roger. We are praying for you and uh, expecting you to jump back to health again and running around this building like a 25-year-old is what we're expecting. So I'm thankful that you are here with us today and everyone else who's unable to be here physically. For those of you that are here live in Hendersonville, Tennessee, I believe that God has a word for you today, and I hope to just get out of the way so you can receive it. We're starting this new series called Donkeys and Elephants. My grandfather was a preacher, and I remember they would always have people over at their house for lunch and dinner all the time. My grandma would always tell my grandpa, you can talk about anything tonight except for two things, religion and politics. And so for the next three weeks, we're going to talk about both. <laughs> I was never a very good listener. Like, I'm a C student, so bear with me. But before, like, you get, you know, tense and, and then you start sweating and, and, and it's not going to be too controversial. So don't, don't, don't get all worked up on me. But let me give you an outline of what we're going to be talking about over the next three weeks. This message today, the subtitle is called The Great Divide. I actually have a better name for it, Republicrats and Dimlicans. I'll let that sink in for a minute. <laughs> Next week, we're going to be talking about the early history of the United States and what I believe is a supernatural hedge of protection around God. And it's going to be really history-driven as to how this tiny little nation rose to power in such a short amount of time. And I believe it's very obvious it's the hedge of protection for a purpose. And we're going to unpack that next week. And then week three, I'm going to talk about what is a Christian's role in politics and how that should come into play when you go to the ballot box. And so I am expecting us to have a good time over the next couple of weeks. But but I want you to, to take a look at the picture behind me. And, and you're going to see a donkey and an elephant. Has it ever registered to you like how weird it is that those are the two things that represent the two major political parties in the United States? Now, some of you are like, no, we have the Green Party. We have the Libertarian. We, we have two political parties in the United States. And, and I just want to, if you'll go with me for a moment on a journey, a history journey of how this came about. All right, it has nothing to do with the Bible, but I think it's interesting. So let's start with the Democrats. Let's start with the donkey. We got to go all the way back to 1828. What year class? In 1828, there was a guy running for president by the name of Andrew Jackson. Actually just lives, lived right down the street from here. <laughs> He's still alive. No, he lived down there. And if you want to know what Andrew Jackson was like, I want you to think of like, you know, 1800s version of Donald Trump. Just really polarizing. You either loved him or you hated him. He had, uh, obviously you couldn't argue with his success in life. And he had this kind of like a, a bull in a china shop kind of a, of a vibe to him. And he was running against a very well-polished politician, the son of a former president by the name of John Quincy 
Adams. And John Quincy Adams was this polished politician. And, and, and he could not stand Andrew Jackson and that he rose to this power. He's like, this guy, that's the best you guys can do? You Democrats, the best you can do is Andrew Jackson? And he got so frustrated with Andrew Jackson because Andrew would like just find the little spots and poke him to get them all riled up. And, and it, it got so bad that John Quincy Adams, one time in front of people, referred to him as the great jackass of our country. I'm not making this up. So what Andrew Jackson do? Andrew Jackson did what Andrew Jackson did. He's, he kind of ran with it. And he's like, listen, John Quincy is not nearly as like uppity and just as high and mighty and as well polished as you think he is. He's calling me the great jackass. So what he started doing is putting a picture of a donkey on his posters. Andrew Jackson did. He just kind of owned it. And that made John Quincy Adams even more angry. So of course your political cartoonist ran with this. And now here we are over 200 years later and the donkey represents the Democrats. But those of you that consider yourselves Republicans, like, it's not much better. It's an elephant. Why on earth would it be an elephant? Now, I have a lot of jokes that I could say, but, I, but I'm not going to. This actually goes back, oh, by the way, Andrew Jackson ended up defeating John Quincy Adams to become the first Democratic president in United States history. But we got to go for the Republicans a few decades later. A guy by the name of Abraham Lincoln. Gentlemen, if you ever want to, you know, sweet talk your wife, a very famous pickup line is, if you were a president, you would be Abraham Lincoln. You wonder how I got such a good-looking wife. Now you know. It's called game, boys. It's called game. Take notes. But back to my notes, speaking of. Abraham Lincoln was president during what is probably the most difficult time to be president in the history of our country in the middle of the Civil War. And we're talking about 1870s when this idea started coming around that they had this, uh, uh, soldiers had this phrase called seeing the elephant. And seeing the elephant meant that you were a soldier that actually had seen combat. And so they would have this phrase that would go on, seeing the elephant during the Civil War. And it wasn't until 1874 that political cartoonist started drawing pictures of Abraham Lincoln riding in on an elephant. It was basically implying that he brought war into our country. Not necessarily factually true, but since when are political cartoons true? And so since then, it's just kind of become the mascot of the Republican Party. And, and even now, I, I want you to just, I'm going to ask this question, and it's rhetorical, so please don't yell it out. It's, it's not going to do any good. If Jesus were physically alive today, would he be a Republican or would he be a Democrat? And, and whatever your political background is or your ideology, you're probably thinking that. And you're like, there's no way you could see it as any other way except for a blank. Or if you don't trust the government, don't like the government, you probably then would think, well, he would do neither. He would destroy the whole thing. Do you want to know which political party he would be in? He, thank you, Jeremy, he would be... We don't know. We have no idea. You really thought I was going to go there? Surely not. Come on now. But what I do think that we can figure out is find his interactions with the political parties at the time and see how he dealt with politicians more than maybe his political ideas. I want to remind you that we have a dual citizenship, first and foremost, to the kingdom of heaven. 
And so I want us to really look at that. Now, here in the United States, we have several different branches of government. We have the House of Representatives. I think it's 435 people. We've got senators. So we have two from every state. We have 50 states. So those of you in remedial math, 50 times two is... That's right. 100, the same amount as the dollar bill Keith has in his wallet right now. It better be in that generosity bucket. We also have the office of the President of the United States, and so we have checks and balances built in. But then we also have a Supreme Court, and we have a Supreme Court with nine judges. And so I want us to just go back for a moment in Jesus' time, and I want to take a look at their Supreme Court. It was called the Sanhedrin. Say it. And there was 70 people in the Sanhedrin. 70, 70, 70. There was 70. There's going to be a quiz on this at the end. And it was made up of two, basically two political parties. And that doesn't translate smoothly into Democrat and Republican because it's two very different things. And, and, and religion was really intertwined a lot with this. And so I want us to take a look at them. And that's why I have these chairs here. And we have the Pharisees. Everybody say the Pharisees. Good. I'm known for my high-dollar props. And then we have the Sadducees. Everybody say Sadducees. So throughout this time, I want you to really look, and I want you to remember, and I want you to take a mental picture of what these two different political parties of the time meant. Now, they both had some things in common, so let's go through the things they have in common first. First of all, both the Pharisees and the Sadducees were part of a sect of Judaism. I said sects of Judaism. Gerald, calm down. It's S-E-C-T-S. Sects of Judaism. So they both were different sects of Judaism. They were underneath that. Then the second thing is, is they both represented and believed in the law the Torah, the Pentateuch, the first five books of the Old Testament, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, yep. So they both believed in that. And then the other thing is, is they both had a measure of political power. Now keep in mind, this is during the Roman government. So almost all of the New Testament, actually all of the New Testament, falls under the rule of the Roman Empire. So it's the backdrop of the Roman Empire. You can't really understand the New Testament unless you take some time to understand the Greco-Roman Empire and the Hellenistic influence from Alexander the Great. Stick with me. I used to be a history teacher, so I get excited about this kind of stuff. And, and let's talk a little bit about their, their differences. So we have the Sadducees, and the Sadducees were the upper class more of the group. Like These were the wealthy guys. They were more conservative so they only strictly believed in the law. Like it has to be the law. And if it isn't written down specifically, they didn't believe it. The flip side of that is the Pharisees represented the common people. Now you're going to hear a lot more when you read the Bible about the Pharisees than you do the Sadducees, and I'm going to tell you why in just a few minutes. But the Pharisees, they were kind of the common folk. So like you had the Sadducees that really were involved in the political power. They cared a lot more about politics, so they would hang out in the temple. The, the Pharisees were the common people, so they would be in the synagogues. One temple, this is the second temple, and, and then the synagogues were 
all over the place, your local churches essentially. So they would be all over the place. So that's something that's a little bit different. And then the Sadducees, even though they were the smaller group, that's why there's only three chairs over here and there's four over here because I want you to remember that. Though they were the smaller group, they were the most influential because they were the ones with the money. Not a whole lot different, right? You want to know what's corrupt? Follow the money. But they also always had the high priest and the chief priest were always Sadducees. So even though they were the minority, they all had the influence because money influences. So that's where they are. And now the reason that you don't see Jesus interacting with the Pharisees a whole lot in Scripture is because two, two reasons. Well, one reason, and then you see Paul mess with them a little bit. The reason is, is that the Sadducees had no interest really in Jesus because he was just some rabble rouser from Nazareth to them, not the Messiah, not a big deal, and it didn't really affect them at all because they just hung out in the temple and they were a lot more interested in politics. And so they were a lot more interested in what the Roman government was doing and how the Jews could be a part of that. The Pharisees, on the other hand, though, they despised this rabble-rouser from Nazareth, this so-called Messiah, because he affected their influence. He was the one that was coming up and saying, oh, no, 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 no. You just have to have the Pharisees that can hear from God. Men and women of all socioeconomic statuses, of all pasts, of all presence, have a chance to go through me to the Father. The Pharisees didn't like that because once man has power, he doesn't like to give it up. And so that's where we are. And then if you are a Christian and you study the Bible, you, you got to know this year. It, it, it changed the course of Christian history, and it's A.D. 70. Should be very easy to remember because it's the same number of the Sanhedrin. A.D. 70. Why? Does A.D. 70 matter? I'm so glad you asked. Because in A.D. 70 is when the Roman Empire destroyed the second temple. It would never be rebuilt. Now you and I are the temple, but that's another message. A.D. 70 was when they destroyed the temple. And it's important because this is the only influence the Sadducees had. So when the temple was destroyed, they are pretty much done for, and you don't really hear from them after that. And that's when the Pharisees come in. Now, now, why do the Pharisees hate Jesus so much? Because just as these guys, the Sadducees, were more conservative, strict interpretation of the Pentateuch, the Torah, the law, the first five books of the Old Testament, the Pharisees were very liber liberal with their beliefs. And here's why. And this is what's going to get them in trouble. And it's a huge mistake. And we're going to focus on this in the back part of our message. They took oral tradition, what man would talk about that is tradition, and they would hold it to the same value as the written word of God. So the traditions of mankind held equal weight to what was written in the word of God. Huge mistake! You want the Kardashians telling you what the word of God is equal to? If you have no idea who that is, you're the smart one in the room. You cannot have the oral traditions of man equal Scripture. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was God. The Word was with God. The God will elevate His Word above everything else. But the Pharisees fell into that trap. So they hated Jesus. 
Let's talk about the three major doctrinal issues, and we're going to have this up on the screen for those of you taking notes. If you don't take notes, take notes. You're never going to remember this stuff. Write it down. Study it. If you're basing your eternity off of it, you should be a student of the Bible. Don't be an ostrich. Just stick your head in the sand and get your get out of hell free card, pass go, collect $200 and buy Baltic Avenue. Come on, man. Nobody gets rich off of Baltic Avenue. What was I saying? Oh, yeah. <laughs> the three major differences. These are doctrinal issues, and they kind of all bleed in together. So the first one is the resurrection. The Sadducees, strict interpretation of the law. They don't believe in the resurrection of either the Messiah that he will resurrect or, number two, the eternal soul. You see, the Sadducees would teach that once the soul perished, it would cease to exist, whereas the Pharisees, they believed in the afterlife. They believed that you would be punished or rewarded based upon what you did in, in this world. So the Sadducees, they didn't have any hope because they didn't believe in the resurrection. The Sadducees, because they had no hope, were very sad, you see. Some of you will get that later. That's elite level right there. That's elite level. Achievement unlocked. You're doing a good job, Jason. Thank you, Jason. The last one is the unseen realm. So the Pharisees believed in angels and demons. The Sadducees, because they didn't believe in anything eternal, this is all we got, they didn't believe in that spiritual realm. And we were just talking this morning, Jeremy and I, about the spiritual realm and the things that are going on around us at all times that we as Christians really just kind of pretend doesn't exist. But there are demons and angels battling for, for supremacy here on earth all the time. It's all throughout Scripture. I want to show you something. Now that you have a better idea, remember it's about context, 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 that, that we have the Pharisees and the Sadducees, and it shows up in one of my favorite parts of Scripture. It's in the book of Acts, and it's Paul, who keep in mind used to be a Pharisee, more than just a Pharisee, like he was the Pharisee of Pharisees, like dude would have been on jeopardy for sure. I'm more of kind of like a Price is Right kind of a guy, but, but Paul would have been on jeopardy. Thank you for laughing, Sonia. No one else. Uh, but I want you to hear this. So Paul goes in front of the Sanhedrin. He stands in front of their Supreme Court, which is actually relatively common for Paul. And I love what he does. I want you to see this strategy. The Bible is full of funny stuff if you really take the time to kind of look at it. And this is funny, Tristan. So I want you to imagine for a moment that you had to stand in front of like the board of education because you got in trouble for like maybe being on your phone or live streaming Instagram or something. I'm just making up random stuff, of course. <laughs> and I want you to hear what Paul is doing. We're in Acts 23. Verse 6, we'll have it on the screen for you, but I encourage you, like, take a screenshot of this, write it down, go back and look at it later. And this is Paul standing in front of the Sanhedrin, who, by the way, knows the doctrinal issues between the Pharisees and the Sadducees, and what you're about to see is something phenomenal. Have you ever seen that meme where Michael Jackson's, like, eating popcorn, like, I think it was on Thriller, and, like, you're just like, oh, I'm going to enjoy the show, or, like, the meme where Homer Simpson kind of goes back into the shrubbery. No? Okay. Look, look them up, I think. This is what Paul's going to do. He's standing in front of the Pharisees and the Sadducees, and he's going to kind of poke the hornet's nest a little bit, and they go, eat the popcorn, 
and they're about to go crazy. I love it. I love the Word of God. Acts 23, verse 6. Then Paul, knowing that some of them were Sadducees and the others Pharisees, called out the Sanhedrin. My brothers, I am a Pharisee, descended from Pharisees. I stand on trial because of the hope of the resurrection of the dead. Now, underline that. That's Paul saying, hey, there's, there's the resurrection of the dead here. He's just laying out breadcrumbs like Scooby Snacks to see if they're going to take the bait. And let's see if they do. They do. Let's see if they do. Verse 7. When he said this, a dispute broke out between the Pharisees and the Sadducees, and the assembly was divided. The Sadducees said there is no resurrection, and there are neither angels nor spirits, but the Pharisees believe all these things. That's Luke, who's writing the book of Acts, just giving you just a little bit of detail. That would be what a doctor would do if he would write that. Verse 9, then there was a great uproar, and some of the teachers of the law who were the Pharisees stood up and argued vigorously, we find nothing wrong with this man. Because they liked what he said. Like, oh, yeah, yeah, he's, he's smart. There's nothing wrong with that guy. What if a spirit or an angel has spoken to him? The dispute became so violent that the commander was afraid Paul was going to be torn to pieces by them. So in my mind, I picture an arm on each side, and the Sadducees are like, ah, let's kill him. And the Pharisees are like, no, he's cool. But we did want to kill him a little while ago, but now he's agreeing with us. And so you see this idea, and then check this out. So then... The guy comes in, the commander, and he ordered the troops to go down and take him away from them by force and bring him to the barracks. So what you see there is you see Paul understanding the difference and what he had to do to kind of divide them, poke the hornet's nest a little bit, and then just kind of step back. But the part that I think is important is to really go back a little bit back during Jesus' earthly ministry, the three years that he was having his earthly ministry. And I think it's important to, to, to check this out because what happens is, is the old saying, the enemy of my enemy is my friend. And we see in human history, very rare, where the Pharisees and the Sadducees got together because they had to eliminate Jesus. Now, the Sadducees, up to this point, didn't really care but now the Roman Empire cares very much about Jesus because Jesus is causing disturbances. He's going to be declared an enemy of the state because everywhere he goes, there's groups of people gathering because now he, he, he's teaching this philosophy that they've never seen before. And now he's the great liberator of women. And now he's going to the poor and he's saying, no, no, God has a plan and a purpose for you. And, and you were knit together in your mother's womb. You were fearfully and wonderfully made. You have a path that doesn't have to go through man to get to God. It goes through Jesus. And so the Roman Empire, the government, did not like this. So now it's giving Jews a bad name. So that's what the Sadducees care about because now politically they're now going to be black sheep. Or they, they, they don't want that. So they got to eliminate this Jesus. So now you see the Pharisees who we've already covered from the very beginning hated this Jesus of Nazareth, and it's an opportunity to eliminate a threat for both of them. So when you see Jesus all throughout Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John talking to groups of people, you'll see very often it says that there were Pharisees either nearby or they were listening or they were around. And the words that Jesus would say in front of these Pharisees, these words in red were the reason he got killed. It wasn't 
the most awful of sinners that killed Jesus was the religious people. I didn't say the Christians. I said the religious people. And we're about to see a very important part of Scripture. This is the the main crux of it all that I really want us to understand because I believe this has everything to do with today's political climate. I want you to hear the words of Jesus. We don't have very many recorded in Scripture, so when he speaks up, this should carry weight. This is going to be in Mark's gospel. Keep in mind, Mark was a disciple of Peter. Some theologians actually call Mark's gospel Peter's gospel. It's fantastic because like, he essentially skips baby Jesus and goes straight to the miracles and like the explosions and like the, I mean, just like, there's not explosions, but, but if there was, it'd be in Mark. All right, so keep that in mind. Like Mark, as a disciple of Peter, has a bit of flair for the dramatic, which I can definitely relate to. So we're in Mark chapter 7, and we're going to skip around slightly, but just to make it easy on you, we're going to start in verse 1. I love that sound of the rustling of pages. It's fantastic. I'm off an iPad, but I love that you have your Bible. All right, so verse 1. The Pharisees... And some teachers of the law who had come from Jerusalem gathered around Jesus as some of the disciples eating food with hands that were defiled, which means unwashed. Now keep in mind that the Pharisees were adding oral tradition to the law. So you already have a bunch of things that Moses gave them they had to follow, and these guys just kept adding to it. They just kept adding to it. That's what man can do. Man can severely overcomplicate Christianity. We add all these things to it that we don't see in the Bible. There's a reason that Jesus says, come to me with faith like a child. Because as we get older, we think we're smarter. We think we got the world figured out, and we start adding, well, you can't do this, you can't do that, you can't smoke, drink, or chew, or date girls that do, or you're not a Christian. That's in the Bible, right? That's in Hezekiah chapter 1, verse 7, or, or that's in the New Testament. You ever heard of first and second opinions? <laughs> Man, I am on fire today. I'm going to answer my own altar call at the end of this, man. Jeez. Anyways. Wow, I didn't even get to verse 3. Okay, so Pharisees were there, teachers of the law. They were mad because some of the disciples were eating without cleaning their hands. If you know anything about other cultures, sometimes there's one particular hand that's used for sanitary purposes, and, and you don't touch anything with that hand. So verse 3, the Pharisees and the Jews do not eat unless they give their hands a ceremonial washing, holding to the tradition of the elders. When they come from the marketplace, they do not eat unless they wash. And they observe many other, doesn't say scripture, such as the washing of cups, pitchers, and kettles. Verse 5, so the Pharisees, the teachers of the law, ask Jesus this. Whenever they ask Jesus this, they rarely want to actually know the answer. They're trying to set them up for gotcha questions. Why don't your disciples live according to the tradition of the elders instead of eating their food with defiled hands? And Jesus does what Jesus often does. 
He quotes the Old Testament. Quotes the prophet, prophet Isaiah. He said, Isaiah was right when he prophesied about you hypocrites. These is, this is the type of language and verbiage that got Jesus killed. As it is written, these people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. The tradition of man is to sit in a room and honor with your lips, to say things with your lips, but your heart is far from me. These are iniquities, sins of the heart. Instead of transgressions, sins of the hand. And then he takes it even further. He's saying this to the Pharisees. They worship me in vain. Their teaching are merely human rules. And this is the part that's so important. I want you to hear this. You have let go of the commands of God and are holding on to human traditions. You have let go. And he continued, you have a fine way of setting aside the commands of God in order to observe your own traditions. The single cause of atheism in the world today has rarely has anything to do with God. It has to do with hypocrites. It has to do with the religious people. The people say, oh, you can't come in here. You have tattoos. You got pink hair. I'm sorry, where in, in, in that, well, who's you? You have the, the, the biggest Bible I've ever seen. Please hold that up for everybody. Please. That's the NIV, the NASB, the KJV, the, all of those in one Bible. It says large print, but it ain't that large. Sorry. Where in there did it, did it say those things about who's welcome in here and who isn't? Oh, first and second opinions. Ha! My bad. Oh, I just, I, I just wanted to remind you of that because as we're talking about donkeys and elephants, I want you to be aware of what is the priority of Jesus and what role politics can play in that. But more importantly, I think how politics can deter you from having an impact. I love politics. We're going to talk about in week three how, what a Christian's role in politics should be. But make no mistake, the priority to Jesus is people. It's always people. Verse 13. This is super important. He says, thus... You nullify the word of God by your tradition. One translation says you void the power of the word of God. One translation says that you negate the power of the word of God with your traditions. That's a huge statement from Jesus. Our traditions can make the word of God void of power. And you do many things like that. Again, Jesus called the crowd to him and said, listen to me. Everyone who understands this. I have this up on the screen because I really want you to understand this. I want you to write this down. The priority of Jesus is people, not politics. I'm not saying it's not important, but it's not your priority. Dual citizenship. Now, I know some of you got an American flag tattooed on your arm. It probably won't be on your heavenly body because your dual citizenship is to the kingdom of heaven. And while I think politics is important, it's not nearly as important as people. 
as eternal souls that will live forever. Oh, all the kingdoms and government of man will fall and will not stand the test of fire, but the kingdom of heaven will be established for eternity. And it's not a democracy. Your opinion don't mean squat. It's called the kingdom of heaven, not the democracy of heaven. I want you to hear this. This is the crux of it all. We're, we're approaching the runway. We're essentially done. The devil wants to divide the church to distract us from our purpose. The devil wants to divide the church. I think if you watch the news for more than five seconds, you'll see there's a huge division. Even right now, if I said, don't do it, but if I said, stand up if you're a Democrat, stand up if you're a Republican, you would have negative feelings towards somebody that stood up different than how you believe. And that's okay, but that's not the priority. The common denominator is all of us need Jesus, and without him, we deserve hell. The fact that we need Jesus makes up 99.9% .9 of what we have in common. 0.01% makes up what you care about about politics. I want us to, re to remind you of that. So, what does all of this mean? It's real easy to take politics. I'm guilty of this if I'm not careful. And I take politics and I put it above the power of Jesus, and therefore it becomes an idol to me. It becomes my God. Anything that you put over Jesus, anything that you put up on a pedestal that takes more of your attention, and it's easy for me to get sucked into whichever political party is in power and me either feel really good about it or really poor about it based upon if my guy or girl won. It's real easy to do that, and it's real easy to, to have your mind and your mouth say things like, well, our country is in trouble because this person... Can I tell you, our country is in trouble not because of our politics. Our country is in trouble because we are slowly turning away from the Word of God. And if the world sees a church that's divided by earthly government, what on earth would they ever want anything to do with this place? Your tradition can nullify the power of the Word of God. Let me show you how. If I stood up here and told you how I felt about politics and trashed one political party or one candidate. And then I said, okay, now let's open up the word of God. Those of you that disagreed with me, you wouldn't be able to receive the word of God because the traditions of politics and things that are important and the things that man says are important now just eliminated the power of God being able to speak to you because I negated its power by my foolish and loose tongue. Do you see it? So if you're posting something on social media that is vile and against something in particular, but then the next day you share the verse of the day, well, the people that you just trashed that disagree with you, they're not going to listen to what you have to say. You just voided the power of the word of God. Now, I'm not saying that we be a bunch of jellyfish where we are spineless and we just allow sin to not be called sin. We'll talk about that in week three. I'm not doing it next week because I want you to keep coming back. But I think it's worth us thinking about. And it's real easy to take men and women that are in political power, political positions, and hold them as to be able to have 
a higher standard than you have, meaning like they're smarter, they have, they have more power, they have access to God and you don't, and they know what they're doing and you don't. I want you to hear this quote. It's from an anonymous person, but it's fantastic. It's about the game of chess. And it says, at the end of the game, the kings and the pawns go back in the same box. So I believe, as a body of believers, we have to be aware that the devil's strategy is to divide us. And I think there's no greater way to divide us than politics. Politics has a role. Politics is important. But people are our priority. Next week, yeah, please give God a round of shout of praise. Come on. Next week, we're going to be talking about the founding fathers. We're going to be talking about the hedge of protection that was and still is, maybe barely, but still is, on the United States because it's nothing short of a miracle the story of the founding fathers in America. We will be having a time where we'll be honoring our first responders, our police. This is a church where we respect the law and our police officers, the men and women in uniform. We'll be honoring all of our active military, all of our veterans. It's going to be an awesome day to celebrate. I hope you will bring your whole family here on the 4th of July as we continue this series of donkeys and elephants. Study throughout the week the things that we talked about. Don't take my word for it. You read it. You apply it to your life. Would you stand with me? If God spoke to you in any way during the course of this message, we want to hear about it. Reach out to us at centerpointtn.com. You can partner with us. You can send us a message. We'd love to connect with you.